Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. We'll look again this week at verses 18 through 20. And then we'll also look at a couple of verses from 1 Thessalonians and uh, 2 Timothy as well. Uh, Our message this morning is the second in a short uh, two-week series on discipleship and disciple-making. Uh, this really has been integral to the vision and fabric of our church body since we began, and we desire for it to continue to be so. As I mentioned a minute ago, really the vision that we have, glorifying God by inviting all into his grace and then uh, living that out, uh, growing in truth, living in community and serving in the kingdom are really just expressions of the life of discipleship, what it means to be a disciple. And so we want to uh, think about this. Again, maybe a succinct way for us to summarize what we've been looking at last week and then today is to say this uh, spiritual maturity and spiritual multiplication, spiritual maturity and spiritual multiplication. What do those things look like in our lives Uh, last week? And I encourage you because it is sort of a two week series to uh, get the message uh, online. I think we've got our sermon recording figured out. But uh, uh, if not, there's certainly a handout in in your pews as well on the white sheet that has the notes from last week. We talked about the fact that really this life of discipleship of living as disciples of Jesus, we've got to understand some foundational concepts first to get it. We talked about gospel centered discipleship. Discipleship that's rooted in the fact that we've been purchased. God's redeemed us. God saved us. God's rescued us. As we heard earlier in our call to confession, we're reminded of. And we we can't lay claim to any of that in and of ourselves. It's a free gift from God that that's how we come into a discipleship relationship is by God's grace. And that's how we progress in that relationship as well. And then we looked at, of course, what we think of typically with discipleship, the the disciplines. That word is interwoven in the idea of being a disciple or discipleship. And we talked about, yes, it, it is vital that we respond in a transforming way to what Jesus has done freely for us. So loving God with all that we are and loving our neighbor as ourself, those aren't sort of tangential things that we can sort of maybe do or not do. That is the life of discipleship, and there is a call to obedience there. There's a call to lay hold of the means of grace, of the word, sacraments, and prayer, and put ourselves kind of in the way of that shoot of that wonderful water of grace that comes down and means of grace when we put ourselves in the way of God's word, being here, being in a small group, opening it and reading it ourselves. We're putting ourselves in the way of receiving that refreshment and nourishment of God's word. The same is true with the sacraments and prayers. So we looked at that last week. And then today what we want to talk about is look at what are discipleship relationships like? And, and maybe how can those take form within the life of a church body? It's an organic thing, a church body. It's a living uh, thing, the relationships we have with one another and our connectivity. But what does it look like to have that, a discipleship culture of discipleship relationships in our church. So with all of that introduction, take a look with me at Matthew 28, and then we'll take a look also at a couple of passages in first one in first Thessalonians and one in second Timothy. Again, the white sheet in your pew, uh, the, the one that says January 3rd at the at the top, it's uh, on both sides, uh, gives you some information about where we're headed today. 
Let me read to us Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20 to start with. Uh, You uh, read along silently with me. Uh, Verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And in a couple short passages, if you flip on back towards the further back towards Revelation in your Bible, or if you've got a pew Bible handy, it's uh, that direction. Uh, before you get to Hebrews, there's a, a little book, First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians and First and Second Timothy. Just a couple of quick passages to read. One from First Thessalonians, chapter two, verse eight. The Apostle Paul writing to the early churches, he says this, he says, so being so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you had become so dear to us. And then just a few pages further back in your Bible, it should be Second Timothy chapter two. Verses one to two says this. So then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Sounds like discipleship, right? Being strengthened in in the grace of Christ. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Be able to teach others, be able to pass that down, pass that along. Let's pray together once again. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that it would have full sway in our lives and great impact over how we prepare for this new year and what it means for us to be a church that's marked by uh, disciples and discipleship relationships. And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Well, a tradition that's developed in the Peters household around Christmas time is my parents uh, who are in town uh, today graciously treating the Peters boys to a little getaway as their primary Christmas gift. We had a little trouble getting away because my folks who live in Chicago were trying to come down this week and they had just a tad bit of weather up there. Had one of those go to the uh, airport and miss a flight and miss a flight and miss a flight. Finally, at 845, they called and said, we're headed home. We're going to get in the car and just drive down the next day. But, oh, by the way, they kept our luggage on the plane and they can't get it off. So the luggage is going to Birmingham. So instead of meeting us over in the little Georgia mountains where we were headed, my poor folks had to drive down here to Birmingham, get their luggage, get back to the house. So it turned into a big production this year. But we were excited. When we finally got over to a little little area there in North Georgia in the mountains and got to get out there with the boys, get outside, get outdoors. Uh, Patience and I were invited on this journey as well. So we we came. In fact, we got there a day ahead of them after all those uh, travels. We got to uh, to do something. You know, one, a couple of my boys are, are into to fishing now. So they tried the lakes and they tried this lake and that lake and not not too much results, not too much happening. So we got into little mountain creeks and it was interesting because the place where I kind of learned to fish the most and enjoyed fishing was along little mountain creeks, you know, a thousand miles or so to the north up in central Pennsylvania, where my parents are from. 
And I remember my younger years, my poppy, my grandfather walking on that creek and my dad coming along to show me how to do that fishing in those little creeks. It's not like you do fishing out in a, a big lake or something. You have to, number one, you've got to set the hook just right. So you need somebody to help show you how to do that. And then you've actually got to be able to spot where there's a worthwhile hole in the creek that's maybe, you know, four or five feet deep and not just water streaming on through where there might actually be a, a little trout. Now, we're not talking big fish here. We're talking seven, eight inches at the most of, uh, of fish, but enough to get you excited as a youngster. And, and I remember my dad showing me how to spot those holes and get over there. And then you actually have to sort of it's sort of stealth fishing. You kind of sneak up to the edge and you want to try to hide behind a tree because they're in there. They're seeing you. Those fish are smarter than you. You think they're spotting you and you get your salmon eggs out there and, and, and try to catch the fish. And if you know, if you have some success, you even need to be shown how to cook them up, how to how to clean the fish and cook them up. Well, I can't say that we had too much fishing success on on our little creek journey, but we, we tried. We gave it the effort. And it was interesting to see my dad coming along who had taught me how to do something that's not terribly complicated, relatively simple, how to set that hook, how to approach. But had, somebody had to teach me how to do it. And then me, who really I'm not much of a fisherman, but I I know about how to do that because I've done it before. And I was taught how to do it when I was little, trying to teach my boys how to fish that way. Passing it on, right? Passing it on from one person to another, not necessarily complicated information, but uh, one person being discipled in the art of trout fishing, realizing, hey, Dad, I don't know how to do this. Show me how to put this on the hook. Show me how to approach the creek. I need help, recognizing I need help. And, and others, you know, my dad and myself, who knew at least something about it, looking to pass that along, even though, you know, maybe it takes some patience and maybe it takes some time to bring others along in discipleship of trout fishing. You can see where I'm headed in light of our verses for today. And that's just this idea. And you'll find it on your sheet if you want to take a look at the main idea that since Jesus calls all believers to follow him, to be disciples of him. That we should live in discipleship relationships. It's interesting because Jesus really models this. Have you have you ever thought about how ineffective Jesus's ministry was by the labels and categories that we would use to define anything successful in our culture or in ministry today. He, he didn't leave behind a huge, massive group of followers. He, he didn't have this large contingent of people, and it wasn't even a, a widespread movement when it began. When you look at it, he he did preach to the masses, but really there were 70 within those masses that you read about that kind of followed him from a, a distance. And then you've got within that the 12 that were closer to him, certainly the apostles, even one of those, you know, turned against him. Another one stumbled and fell Peter along the way. And, and then even within those 12, he had three Peter, James and John that he spent even more intensive time with. And when you look at the folks that are huddled together in that little upper room after Jesus's crucifixion, it really doesn't look like much, does it? it really doesn't look like something that would have a worldwide global impact over the centuries. And yet we see that fruit today. It's a reminder for us, I think, individually and as a church body, 
that this idea of discipleship was central to the ministry of Jesus and therefore ought to be central to the ministry of our church, right? Um, it is not terribly hard to generate something that's 2,000 miles wide and an inch deep. But discipleship and discipleship relationships mean we're growing deeply and we're multiplying. We're seeking to invest in others. So a couple of questions for us today to wrestle with. Uh, How should the principles of this gospel-driven discipleship operate within the life of a body of believers? what What can that look like within Cross Creek Church? Another way to ask it, I guess, is how are the disciple-making principles of Jesus' ministry philosophy grafted into the life of the church? So how do we begin to look at where can I be in a relationship with another person in a small group or maybe even one-on-one where they're pouring into me in some areas where I need some help? And maybe even more difficult, sometimes it's easier for us to admit we need some help growing. And it's harder for folks to say, you know what, because we feel like we're being prideful or we've got to have it all together Maybe I've got something to impart to others. Maybe I can invest. Maybe even I share with them my mistakes, my struggles with living out my faith in the workplace, my struggles with trying to be a godly parent, uh, my struggles with trying to have a good, healthy marriage relationship and not doing that so well. But looking and investing into other people, receiving and also investing in others. How do we take Jesus's model of calling people into that relationship and apply it in our week to week existence? Right? We say, well, Jesus called those disciples away. They left their nets. How do we do that in the week to week life of our church as we continue our regular tasks and regular calling? What's well, interesting, and I don't have a, a, a ton for us to share or consider today specifically, but I want us to to start thinking about that. And then I've got a sheet that I'm going to invite you to to take with you in a minute and do some thinking about where God has you on that journey. But think for a minute about what we're doing right now. We probably don't think of this as discipleship, what we're doing here in this worship service. We think of it as attending church, maybe, or participating in the life of our church if we want to make sure to nuance it and say, yeah, I know that this is a group of people, not just a place that I go. But this is discipleship. This is hearing the word of God. This is worshiping Jesus. This is growing in that. And it ought to be that way each week. And it's laying hold of those means of grace to grow in that way. So it's a good thing for us to gather together. We want to do that. There's a reason the scriptures say, hey, don't neglect the habit of gathering together. That's a good thing. But it's also got some challenges, doesn't it? Because we can't really interact too much with one another. And there's not all that much accountability to this kind of setting. You can pop in here and pop out. So trying to really make progress growing spiritually we all know if you're in uh, wanting to improve in your fitness goals for the new year, it really helps to have some other group that you're with, right? Some even are part of maybe an Iron Tribe kind of gym or some other, I and mean, they call it a tribe. You get together and you have a group that's doing this together. We need other people. The challenge is sometimes we can come in and come out even in a small to medium-sized church like ours and not have any interaction around the truth or around transformation and maybe not have too much accountability. That's one of the reasons as a church, we, we don't just emphasize this corporate worship. We emphasize getting together in smaller groups of folks 
whether there's uh, 10 people or four people or whatever, whether it's a men's group, a women's group or a life group where we're getting time sort of life on life. We're able to hear a little bit more of what other people are struggling with and connect around those needs. And, and hopefully we're hearing from God's word as well in the midst of those settings. Probably the challenge there is that those groups can sometimes just become purely social. And we forget even in those settings that, hey, we're here together to support and encourage one another, but to be growing as disciples of Jesus. That's what this is about. Not just time together, but time to be growing as disciples of Jesus. And then lastly, and here's probably the part that I think would be most interesting for us to continue to pray for and explore and develop in our church. And that is what I'll just call mentoring relationships. Now, these might be. You know, maybe two folks together with somebody else very often might just be one on one. And I was reading some material recently that that pointed out all the different forms that this can take. I thought it was interesting as we think about seeking to take spiritual responsibility. Maybe you're someone who could help invest in the life of another or maybe you're someone who says, you know what? One of the things I really want to do this year. I really want to do this year is grow deeper in my relationship with Jesus. And I either don't have a clue about how to begin that, or I know some specific areas where I need to do that, and I really struggle to make progress, and I need someone to help me. I want somebody to help me along that journey. Uh, Think about it this way, a couple of ways to approach it. You might have somebody that's uh, what we would call a sponsor. Uh, Not so much maybe like an AA or recovery uh, sponsor, But the idea of having somebody that's that looks and says, you know what, I don't maybe even know that person all that well, but I want to try to help them connect with some ministry opportunities. So I'm going to invite that person to my small group or I'm going to help them connect with an area of service in the life of the church that they seem to maybe be gifted for so that they can grow there. Sponsor is looking that way towards others. Maybe you need to ask for that help. Maybe you can give that help. A teacher, an instructor. This is probably what we think of as discipleship. And I know I've had the joy over the years of being both on the receiving end of sort of one-on-one instructional mentoring, as well as uh, giving that to to others. Uh, This book, Discipleship Essentials, is one I've loved to go through with folks, going through the basics of the faith. There's a lot of information coming into our lives, but that helps us to grow in the foundational truths of the faith. A coach. A coach, a lot of us have probably spent some time in front of the TV the last couple of days, right? Watching a few games. Maybe some of the ladies wish the uh, husbands were not spending so much time doing that. But but you, you watch it play out, how the game progresses. And one team comes out their second half and does better than they were expected to because somebody helped them. The coaches, the players are going as fast as they can, doing the best they can. They've got somebody else that's seeing the whole field. And it's helping to coach them along the way. Maybe you need somebody like that with some of the things in your spiritual journey. A counselor. I think of a counselor this way. A counselor is, you know, helping to deal with a specific issue. Right. I need somebody that's maybe further along the way or has been through this journey before. That's got some wisdom to impart to me on this specific thing. I'm struggling as a as a mom with really raising my kids in this particular area. And I need somebody who might have some wisdom, might have some input to speak into my life. A counselor is doing that kind of mentoring. Uh, A model. Here's an interesting one. And uh, 
and one that's pretty compelling, really, when you think about it. We've all got access through our electronic devices, through Kindle or some other downloadable format to all manner of resources and books, so forth. One of the things that we can really enjoy is being mentored by folks that have walked the Christian journey 200 years ago or 2000 years ago. And you can get a copy of Augustine's Confessions and read what his journey was spiritually. And he can mentor you and me uh, down through the centuries. Contemporary people that we might not ever meet, but that seem to be growing or have some significant input in a spiritual area. We can embrace that kind of mentoring. And then lastly, and there's probably a, a lot of other ways we could define it, accountability. Accountability is typically where you have two folks. There's not necessarily one that you're saying is further down the road and one that's kind of the, the, the mentor and the mentee. You're both along the journey together, but you both recognize, hey, you know what? I need help with this. Uh, you know, last year was a train wreck for me in terms of my struggle with lust guys or maybe some gals, we might say. And you say, hey, I need a I need a, a, a buddy. I need somebody to come alongside with me and help me on that journey. Uh, I mentioned earlier the, the workplace. Boy, I'd, I'd, I'd love to live out my faith in the workplace, but I just don't follow through with it. I need somebody else. Maybe it's somebody at work, not even part of this church that, you know, is a believer. And, they, and they're, they're trying to work that out, too. And you just say, let's let's hold each other committed to this. Maybe it's just something as simple as, you know, I've got a Bible reading plan I'd like to do individually this year. And I know I'm not going to do it unless I have somebody else that once a week we just touch base and say, how are you doing? Are you progressing with that? Are you growing in God's word? I put together a sheet for you that I intend just to be a helpful thing as much as you want to benefit from it. I'm not really necessarily intending for you all to hand this in, but I've had had opportunity for you to put your name and date on top of it just for your own uh, recollection. But that maybe walks us through. We're starting a new year. We're talking about discipleship, walks us through some questions that might be good uh, for you and for me. Uh, The first few about where we are in our relationship with Christ, just to kind of get our bearings. And then, you know, what, what's our what's your plan for the next year? We talked about last week. If you if you don't aim at something, you, you'll hit it every time. Right. You got to aim at something to pursue it. So what what are you thinking about doing in your household as a couple or individually or with your kids or devotional time? What are you planning to do to kind of grow in individually? What's your plan? The, the, the next question, what's your plan to grow through the ministries of our church? Not just to be involved with it, but to say, I want to go to this ministry, this small group, or I want to come and serve on Sunday morning somewhere because I want to see this happen in my Christian life. What what is that? What will that look like in this next year? In what ways will you invest spiritually in others? Okay. Are, are there some others around you that could benefit even from your struggles along the way? That you could reach out to and invest in in our church body. In what ways do you plan to arrange for others to invest in you? You know, some of us, somebody's not going to come knocking on the door and saying, I'd like to help you. You might have to take a step, a little risk and say, would you seem like somebody that could maybe help me with this? Would you pray about us getting together on some kind of basis to help me with this area or this issue spiritually? 
What are your spiritual gifts? How do we plan to use those in the body of the church? We handed out that spiritual gifts inventory a few months ago when we were going through 1 Corinthians. Glad to provide another one for the, of those for you if you didn't get a chance to pick one up. How do you plan to walk as a disciple in your family, friendships, work, and leisure? What can Cross Creek Church do to help? I love for folks, you know, we're kind of, I think maybe a lot of us are in that season where we're thinking about the new year and maybe putting some thoughts down of what we want to do in different areas of our life. Uh, maybe this would be helpful for you to put some thoughts down. If you want to take a picture of it with your phone or whatever and email it to me, I'd love to pass it along. If it's personal, you can email it just to me or whatever. If you want me to pass it along to the church leaders so we can be praying for you. Love to kind of see where people are with this. And maybe there's some ways we can make some connections for this mentoring And for this discipleship in the life of our church that will strengthen us all, lay hold of some of the wisdom and input that's in in our church body and help to build up some that are in need of that. I mentioned last week uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'll close with a statement from him. That's a World War uh, II era German uh, theologian who who really died for his commitment to the gospel and to uh, his faith. Again, I mentioned last week that. He went through this process of coming back into Nazi Germany, of being eventually imprisoned. First, his church public meetings were shut down. Then the radio broadcast. He couldn't even sort of connect with his flock through through auditory, through the radio broadcast. And then he was put into to prison and, of course, had some interaction in that environment, but was isolated from the world at large. And I always think it's interesting what he says about the need we have for one another. And it's translated, of course, from German a little bit, so it, it, it maybe doesn't read as fluidly for us, but I think you'll get the picture. It's, uh, it's on your white sheet, I think, there in your pew. He said this. He says, God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother, in the mouth of a man. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again. When he becomes uncertain and discouraged for by himself, he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ. Listen to this. This is true for me. Perhaps true for you. He says the Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, do confess that we have the privilege sometimes of being that brother in whom the word is stronger at a particular time. And we are able to speak it into the life of a brother or sister who's in a weaker place and needing to hear that. Frequently, Lord, we find ourselves in the opposite place of needing that word from others. And Lord, at the very basic form, that is discipleship. That is our mutual dependency upon one another and the blessing of what you're doing in one person's life being able to be imparted to another. Lord, we ask that our church body would be marked by this and it would even be extended Uh, further into those in our community that we have yet to reach and yet to get to know that we could bless them with this investment spiritually as well. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.